From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 425. Today's show is brought to you by Hover, Memberful, and DoorDash. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Jason Snell. Hi, Jason Snell. Hi, Mike Hurley. How are you? I'm good. Uh, we are recording this on the evening of Sunday, the 18th of September. I'm leaving for home tomorrow. Uh, so we're recording a tad earlier than we normally would, mm-hmm. but I'm feeling good. Sunday night upgrade. Mm-hmm. And you're, uh, you know, in a different location. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. And I don't, I don't know how I'm going to even get up on Monday morning because you're the reason I get up on mm-hmm. Monday morning. You give oh. me a reason. Let me rephrase this. Oh, Mike, wow. you give me a reason to get up. I love it. On Monday morning, every week. And usually it's 4A, hashtag Snow Talk question. And this one comes from Chris, who wants to know, do you think, Jason, that a mid-cycle release of the iPhone 14 line is coming of a new color, either pro or regular? Well, after we made fun of it last time, and everybody said, no, no, it makes sense from a fashion standpoint, and it might prod people into going and considering getting a new iPhone, and mm-hmm. it all makes all the sense in the world, because we, we thought it was kind of funny, right? Like, they put out a press release, and they literally sent me a green iPhone and said, look, a green iPhone. <laughs> and I thought to myself, okay, great. Uh, so, Chris, yes, of course, of course they'll do it, because this is what they do now. They will do a mid-cycle release of some color for the iPhones, and it'll not be anything too exciting for the rest of us, but it will put another color in the store, and that seems to work for them. So I think so. I think this is just what Apple does now, is they have their spring color refresh, which usually means they add uh, an, a color to an iPhone partway through its life. I don't feel like I know why they do it. Like, I, you know, I can assume that they are doing it because they think it helps make them more money. But, like, I also don't really feel like I know if that's true. Like, I don't know if that necessarily makes logical sense to me. Like, that that many... How many people are really waiting that much for whatever color it is, you know? I think a lot of people aren't waiting, right? The the point that we got when we, when we complained about this the last time is that there's so many people out there who are just buying an iPhone... And they, they're not waiting for the new iPhones, and they're finally there. And the idea that you might prod some of them to rethink buying any iPhone, not just the new green mm-hmm. iPhone or whatever, that it's worth doing, it must there must be some sign that it gives them a lift, or they wouldn't do it, right? Yeah. Like, I'm sure that their metrics focus They're smarter enough. than us, and they have the data. They know, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're probably smarter than us, but what we do know for sure is they have the data, and we don't. And uh-huh. I'm going to assume that they would not do this because there's somebody in there who says... No, I just I just like having an extra color in the spring, right? Mm-hmm. Like it probably somebody that's the that's the guy who's going to get fired as the colors are when we're put in charge. Yep. Is that guy, Mister Extra Extra Color? I like by the way that you say probably about the smart. That was nice. That you, it's correct. They just have the data. If we had the data, we could make all the decisions. Uh, you know? Maybe. I mean, we could try. <laughs> I mean, we could I mean, we just... could make them. I don't know if they would be the right ones, but there are decisions we would make. I'm not going to assume like so many people uh, who are in our position do that the people who talk about things for a living are smarter than the people who do the things Correct. that they talk Correct. about. Correct. Because no, I also am not going to assume that the people we talk about are smarter than us because they might, some of them might not be, mm-hmm. but uh, probably a lot of them are. And it's like there's a lot of smart people who work at Apple, but you know, not necessarily all of them. Uh, and and that guy who's <laughs> like, yeah, it's green, right? Like that oh, guy. that guy. That guy doesn't get, sound get, very smart. That, that guy, <laughs> they, I don't know why he still got that job. Get him out. Replace uh, new color, new color, color commentator. Anyway, yes, 
is the answer. There must be a reason why they do it. Maybe I did have a theory, which is that um, at a certain point in the life of uh, of the iPhone production cycle, they're so far ahead that they can they can afford to add colors to the mix because they can like reduce what they're making in like i don't know if they make all the colors at once or if they like make a bunch of one color and then a bunch of another and a bunch of another um but maybe there's a thing where like the extra color comes in when they have some bandwidth to make another color and add yeah. another skew to the line yeah i don't know if you would like to send in a snow talk question to help us open a future episode of the show just send out a tweet with the hashtag snow talk or use question mark snow talk in the relay fm members discord that was a real ask upgrade feeling snell talk there though. Yes. Not very personal, right? No. I mean it was a question to me. Right, yeah. No, it's good question. Good perfectly good question. So here's why I picked that one. I actually picked that one specifically though and forgot the reason why I picked it until right now, which okay. was to mention at this point that today's episode features our review and discussion of the iPhone 14 line. Ah, yes. that's why okay, I picked good. this one as like a setup. But totally then makes sense. I forgot to do the setup. Well done. So well, it's, you know, it's late. Yeah, look, I can't be trusted to remember everything. You know, that's just how it goes sometimes. I'm afraid. No, I, I'm, I'm going to withdraw that statement I made before about what, who's smarter. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> there is a reason we're recording this show today, and why it's late, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm still in Memphis, Tennessee, because just a couple of days ago. Uh, we hosted the fourth annual podcast-a-thon for the kids of St. Jude. We are raising money all throughout September for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital in their 60th year since opening its doors in 1962. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital has grown in size and capabilities for this one special reason that they have, which is finding cures and saving children because they believe that children all over the world deserve the same chance at survival. We love St. Jude and being there and hosting the podcast-a-thon for all that time and getting to interact with the people uh, that we, one of the people we get to work with and seeing the incredible videos that we get to watch all night uh, that they put together and, and are able to show our, our viewers and listeners. It is a good reminder of why we do the work that we do. Um, Childhood Cancer Awareness Month is an opportunity for us to come together in the fight against childhood cancer because together we can make a big impact. And so far this year, we have made a huge impact uh, I, you know, together as a community this year, we've raised uh, over three hundred and eighty thousand dollars. As it, where we stand right now, um, this year we have a goal of four hundred and ninety-four thousand eight hundred and forty dollars. Because when we hit that, we have raised two million dollars over the last four years as a community, which is just absolutely unbelievable. If you didn't catch the podcastathon, I'll put a link in the show notes. It's on YouTube now, so you can go and watch it. It really was. A, it was a magical evening for me, honestly. It was everything I wanted it to be. I was so happy with how it came together. And uh, we raised over $100,000. I think it was $109,000 we raised, which is the most we've ever raised during a podcast-a-thon. Everyone's blown away, um, including me. It was it was a fun and very emotional evening. Uh, I, I was so happy that we got to do it. And it was so happy to be back together in person and to be in the studio. And we just had a great time. And we raised a lot of money together. And we had a lot of fun. Uh, Jason, you did such a good job with the family feud. Oh, sorry, the oh, feuding families. I was I, yep, dying watching it. Distinct. It was so funny. Uh, so that that's there for you to go and watch too. Um, yeah, it was it was really really great. And uh, yeah, I, I'm just really happy to be here and uh, to be able to do this. And I'm even more happy with how much money we've raised together. Uh, please go to stjude.org/relay. You can donate. 
still up until the end of the month, and we're going to keep talking about this. We're doing the first first time we've ever done this uh, this year on September the thirtieth. A little more details to come shortly. We're going to be doing a closing celebration where we announce the final total raised and close the fundraiser. We've never done that before, but we want to make fun out of that. So we're going to be hanging out on stream for a couple of hours and and uh, talking about some stuff, playing some games, those kinds of things. Uh, so you can come catch me and Steven then. Um, we're still working. We've decided we want to do it, but we haven't worked out any of the plans yet other than ah. the fact that we're doing it. Because the, the, the goal, sorry, the, the final total every year, it's always so much higher than when we end the podcast a thon like we've raised right tons tons like tens i think that tens of thousands of dollars since the podcast a thon ended mm-hmm. a couple of days ago so uh, we want to do something more to celebrate where we actually end at the at the end of the month so this is the first year we're doing that and i hope in future years that but also becomes more of a grand affair too um so we can get to celebrate a bit as a community is what we've all come together to do uh, we've mentioned you can donate and you can donate any amount that you want. You can also sign up to fundraise. We have over 200 people that have signed up to fundraise themselves. Um, and there are some special incentives that are available to you uh, for that. So there's a bunch of stuff for you to go and check out. Please go to stjude.org slash relay. Check out the podcast. I found link in the show notes. Um, thank you so much to everybody who's tuned in and everyone that's donated so far. That's some follow-up for you, Jason. Snow. Okay. All right. I'd like to thank the Academy. Yeah, would you like to go ahead and thank the Academy on behalf yep. of Ted Lasso? Yes, thank thanks uh, Emmy Awards for once again bestowing many Emmys upon Apple TV Plus's Ted Lasso uh, Best Comedy. Jason Sudeikis won Lead Actor, Brett Goldstein won Supporting Actor, and uh, they got a Directing mm-hmm. Emmy as well. So, so more. I mean, the big one is I mean Sudeikis really and Gold, Goldstein are great, but also Best Comedy means that. They, Apple has won that one two years in a row. Plus, they've got Best Picture. Like, you know, it's good. It's good for Apple. It makes it makes Apple happy and makes them feel like their their service is legitimate. Oh, I bet. Uh, I I was a bit disappointed that Severance didn't didn't pick up any major yeah. wins. Tough tough categories. Very I mean, tough. I think I think Ted Lasso did really well, and I, I definitely heard people grousing about that too. There's a lot. It's you know peak TV. There's a lot yep. of really good stuff out there. And for Severance, I think the truth is for Severance, the honor w- was just to be nominated. You know, I think you're right. That that drama, that best drama category was absolutely stacked, stacked this year. Yep. Um, you know, like everyone is mad about whatever, at least one show that didn't win it. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I am as equally upset that Better Call Saul didn't win it, but I know they're going to get one more shot. And I really, and, they do. Uh, yeah, I really hope they pick it up next, next year because they've never won. And which is wild. That show so good. Uh, but I also wanted Severance to win. So I think one of those things where like most people were just not going to be happy about where the best drama went. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting to to see. I, I still have my eye on 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 Ted Lasso. Like, what are they gonna do? Like, it seems like I was reading some stuff that apparently the the season's been delayed a little bit, which which has been called uh, Sudeikis perfectionism. Yeah, there's a, there was actually a lengthy piece uh, in Puck News, which is a a subscription site that uh, is fascinating because it went into a lot of details about. How um, Bill Lawrence is not one of the showrunners this year who sort of helped them get started. And he was never a, a major creative force, but like he he wasn't involved this time. He wasn't over there. He's got other shows that he's doing. Sudeikis, uh, you know, exerting more of his power as, you know, and, and the, the fact is that the, those guys, um, him and Brendan Hunt, those guys were the 
brains of the of the show from the beginning, really, uh, who plays Coach Beard, uh, and they kind of stepped into uh, even more authority this time. But also, it sounds like they they uh, they demanded some you know rewrites and they changed some stuff midstream and they added additional shooting locations for stuff late in the season. And uh, this was all keyed off of his moment when he accepted and he said that, you know, that essentially he said, you'll see season three uh, eventually. Yeah. Um, because they wanted it this summer, which is now over. Mm-hmm. And it's unclear when season three of Ted Lasso is even going to be done. And then the, the article also went into a bunch of stuff about like, you know, the the it was a, it was a really good article. But it's like, you know, the compensation that some of the actors are grumbling because they don't get paid as much as they should for this Emmy winning show. But at the same time, it may, it has made their careers so that they're making a lot of money on other things now because they're bankable. And that how Brett Goldstein doesn't get paid much as an actor, given that he's won two Emmys, but he does get paid as a writer and a producer. So that kind of like eases the pain a little and bit. Also, There's a lot you know, of complica- complications going on. He is yeah. a star on the rise. Right. And that it came from being so good in Ted That's Lasso. Yeah. Yeah. All of the people who are in Ted Lasso, even if they don't make a lot of money, and I'm not saying they shouldn't make a lot of money from Ted Lasso, but sure. the other thing they're getting is a real boost to their careers. But there's a lot going on, and there's the there's yep. money overages when they say we want to go shoot in Amsterdam. Like there's money overages, and who pays for it? And that's fascinating because, of course, Warner Brothers is the producer of the show, even though it airs on Apple TV Plus. And so there's a question of like who pays mm-hmm. for the overages? Does Apple pay for it? Does uh, does Warner Brothers pay for it? Does Apple use Apple Pay when Apple pays for it? <laughs> How many woodchucks would a woodchuck chuck? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I'm sure stuff. hanging yeah. over all of it too is like a desire from a lot of people, maybe not everyone, for the show to continue. And like, what what does that mean? And are they going to? Are they going to try and find a way? Like, this is stuff we don't really have any answers to yet. Yeah, it, it's uh, all just kind of floating out there. Um, <laughs> of um, because I think the Puck story suggests that although everybody has always insisted that it's a three and out sort of thing, um, that there's a feeling a lot of people involved had this feeling that everybody may realize at some point before too long that this is one of, if not the high points of their career and that it probably wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if they extended. They already the third season is already 12 episodes, so they've already extended um, it's like give us as much as you can, um, but they've been pretty insistent that they're that the story ends after three years. But I, I, you know, like I've been saying for years now here on this show that um, it, you you have to resist the money truck being backed up to your house mm-hmm. because at some point they're going to be like, Apple's got all the money and they want you to make more Ted Lasso, and Jason Sudeikis is going to have to say, I'm okay with where we are, and I don't want your money. Or you know, like just to, to say what you were saying, maybe Sudeikis wakes up one morning and he's like actually this might be my best work and maybe i don't want it to end you know who knows or maybe there's some other some other way for this story to go or with some mm-hmm. of the characters or something like that and i i mean i admire him if he if he says no this is what the show is and it's and we're Me done too. and yep. walks away from it i really admire that mm-hmm. um i'm just saying that the reality is that a lot of times doesn't always work that way the commerce gets in the way yeah it's i mean it's that classic simpsons line right which is that we're all going to have a great time until the show becomes unprofitable and that's if it <laughs> if it keeps on making money you have all these shows that you're like how did that show go on that long like um this weekend was the 50th anniversary of mash which is one of the great tv shows of all time 
um, for people who haven't seen it. I mean, it's old. It's 50 years old, although it's also 40 years because it was on the air for more than 10 years. And um, more than 10 years? About 10 years. And even in the retrospectives about 50 years of MASH, they, they, they say, oh, yeah, those last few years. They weren't very good. And it's like, they weren't very good, but they made so much money <laughs> that they just kept making them, even though they weren't very good. Because the networker was like, nope, 22 more episodes, please. And everybody said, yep, I want to feed my family. So we're going to make more episodes. So th that is the, that's the art versus commerce thing that's at the heart of this. And, you know, if anybody was going to do it, Jason Sudeikis might do it to, to say, I got what I wanted out of this. This is the story we wanted and we're walking away. And that there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I wanted to just, before we move on as well, uh, just touch on the Apple watch series eight a little bit in that all we're really going to touch on is a little bit. Mm -hmm. You have one, right? I do. It's right here in a box in its box. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I have no intent. I mean, I said this on the show, right? I I wasn't. Gonna, I was no intention of buying this device. It's it's not for me, really. Uh, I'm perfectly happy with my Series Seven, and the Series Eight doesn't have any features that I want as such. Um, and you know, like with a lot of these devices, it is. I think some of the easier reviews, and I feel like this a little bit about the iPhone 14. And we may fall into this trap a little bit too of like, if you do year over year reviews, there aren't that, there isn't that much to say about the Apple Watch Series 8, the same as the iPhone 14. And then that can kind of become the review, which I don't think is necessarily that helpful to everyone. It's only helpful to the person that either A, gets these devices every year from Apple to review, or in my case, buys these devices every year because. I am one, want to, and two, I consider it a part of my job. Yeah. All of this to say, I think the best review I have seen of the Apple Watch Series 8 is by Victoria Song at The Verge because she comes at it from just a very simple perspective of going through the product and talking about what's good about it. And I liked kind of the way that she looked at it, which is a, it's a simple line, but it's a fun line. If it ain't broke, don't fix it but in a way that that feels more positive than the often used take I've seen about some of these products of like, Apple's just doing the same again. Iterative, iterative. Yeah, I know we've we've um, covered this a lot, but it is one of my least favorite things about tech product reviewing and tech journalism in general is that tendency for people who do this for a living to say, boring, mm -hmm. like the goal is to entertain them while mm -hmm. they're doing their job. Yep. And we know the truth, right? And they sometimes they get really irate, like, like how dare Apple release a product that's not that different from the one that I reviewed last year? I don't know what I'm going to even write about. And it's like, I believe me, I get it, but nobody, again, other than our listeners, uh, nobody's buying an Apple Watch every year, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's not the point. It's that this is why John Gruber wrote that column for Macworld, you know, for me like 10 years ago that like Apple's iterative. This is how Apple rolls. Right. It's like it's this iterative thing. And there are moments, delightful moments, like in the early days of the, of the smartphone and even the early days of the Apple Watch where where things were happening fast. But for the most part, whether it's a laptop or a smartphone or a tablet or whatever, you know, it is about the cumulative effect of going several years between uh, a purchase, right? And so, mm -hmm. so the Series Eight is not that interesting in that it's a lot like the Seven and a lot like the Six. However, if you've got a Series Six or Five or Four or Three, 
that is the you know you you will pick up a lot of features. It's just a matter of of uh, you know because most people aren't buying it every year mm-hmm. because why would they? I mean, really, why? Well, no, even if they made huge changes every year, people are not going to buy an Apple Watch every year. They're just not going to do it. Yeah, and I think that this is a nice upgrade if the, there are features in it that you want, like if you care about the temperature thing, if you care about the retrospective, like ovulation tracking, if you care about the car crash detection. Like this could be a good product for you. I'm just saying for me, I'm not. I don't want any of those things particularly, right? Um, and which in the same way that I didn't want any. Uh, of the stuff from the series six particularly so i didn't get that one um and so like that's just like a thing for me i think later on we go i want to talk you wanted to talk about this and, and i'm really interested about kind of the upgrade yeah. cycle and i'll touch on this again in the apple watch then um, okay but you know like so i i'm not gonna buy it and and i don't think you're particularly that jazzed on reviewing it fast at least <laughs> still in the box yeah it's yeah it isn't that interesting as a brand new product. It is more about that, like what's new over time from where you're coming from. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's okay. And this is a prioritization piece for me and you, right? Where like, yeah, you have three iPhones right now, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like websites like The Verge, they can assign each of these products to three different people and like they can make it work. I feel bad for the person who is assigned a product that hasn't changed much in the last year, because what do you say about it? And the answer Mm -hmm. is, I think you have to start with, this is, you know, here's the, here's what's different from last year's model. And here's what is, what is accumulated over the last two or three years, because I, you know, like you said, which I just want to pause for a moment and reflect about this. If you want it for crash detection, uh, which I like on one level, I get it, but another level, it's like, do you get in a lot of car crashes? If so, yes, you should get this product. Yeah, right? but like, I don't drive, you know, like, I, I have my iPhone on me all yeah. the time. Like, it's not for me a thing, right? But my wife was like, I want that. So she's going to, you know what I mean? So, all right. I mean, and everybody's different. That's, that's the. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that would be enough. It's because it's always this way, right? It's like if one of these two new features matters to you, get this thing. Otherwise, you know, your your one from last year or two years ago is just fine, and we move on. That's hard. I get it. Like like I don't I don't envy anybody who has to try to find a a news angle for a slowly iterating product because it's not it's not fun. I I get it. It's just also not. Again, the problem is to say. The new Apple Watch is bad because it it bored me. Because that's not it, it could be bad, but it not having a lot of new features versus last year does not fun, fundamentally make it bad. Just because it bored you is not enough to make it bad. But sometimes that I do see that where it's sort of like you didn't entertain me, you know, boo, bad product. And it's like, well, really? Is it is it a bad product or is it just boring to review? Because it's not the same thing. This episode is brought to you by Hover, one of Relay FM's longest running sponsors, and it's where I get all of my domains, even the ones that I've registered live while we're doing podcast-a-thons. <laughs> when you have that one big idea, where do you go? Your business starts with a domain name. For so many entrepreneurs, Hover is that big leap. Hover has over 300 domain name extensions for you to choose from. No matter what it is you want to build, there's a domain name waiting for it. And I tell you now, Hover, they're the best place to go find it. They have a really great system for searching for domains. You can type in the whole domain you're looking for. You can type in some keywords and they will show you what's on offer from their over 300 domain name extensions that you're able to choose from. 
They have excellent technical support. So if you have any questions, you need anything there, they're going to help you out because Hover are dedicated to getting you online and not upselling you. And that's shown in the fact that they offer free who is privacy of every domain that supports it so that people don't get your information when you don't want them to. Hover have uh, monthly sales and top-level domains, and it's really easy to manage their system to go in, make the changes you need to make, make forwards to connect it with other services. It's really fantastic. Uh, I really think that you'll appreciate Hover. Please go check them out if you haven't already. Um, I really believe that one of the first things with any kind of project idea these days is to register a domain name because if you have an idea for a name for something and you can't get a domain name for it, you probably should start thinking again or like tweaking it and seeing where you can go. And Hover really makes it so easy to go there and do those searches and get that domain name registered for great prices. Buy your domain and start using it today by going to hover.com slash upgrade and you'll get a 10% discount on all new purchases. That is hover.com slash upgrade. Make a name for yourself with Hover. And thanks to Hover for their support of this show and Relay FM. So let's talk about the iPhone 14 and 14 Pro. Could you okay. uh, let our listeners know what models you have and how long you've had them? I got on Wednesday, I want to say, I got the, so the day that the reviews dropped, which is when the second wave reviewer, reviewers get their products. I got three iPhones. I have a, what they claim is a purple iPhone 14. I have a black iPhone 14 Pro and a purple iPhone, iPhone 14 Pro Max. That's what I have. And I've been using the black iPhone 14 Pro. Okay. Space black. Spacey. Spacey black. I don't really feel like there's much to say about the colors anymore. Like we kind of said it to the end. We sort of beaten beaten that one to death, haven't yeah. we? Yeah. I'll just say that the that I feel like once again I feel like Apple is pranking me by claiming that this iPhone 14 is is purple because it looks white to me, but it's not quite white. Apparently it's purpley white. White is interesting. <laughs> I haven't heard it described as white. So far, well, um, I'm colorblind, but yeah. I, it certainly doesn't jump out at you. Yes. So I, I'm like, okay, I don't see any colors there, so it must be white or some sort of gray. Yeah. But anyway, yes, we've beaten the we, we the colors aren't 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 the strongest. No. And people can differ on that. I love the one that I get though. I got the gold. Um, I think the gold looks great. Uh, for me, about the gold, it's all about the accents uh, more than anything else. And I think they do a good job of complementing the gold Pro Max um, or the gold Pro uh, with the the glass back that they do. And I feel the same about the white slash silver too. I think they do a good job of complementing mm-hmm. the silver and the white together. I think that those colors are pretty standard at this point, but also. I think look really good year over year. I'm very continue to be very happy with my choice of gold. Uh, I have the 14 Pro Max, as you would naturally assume that I would do. Of course, I want obviously want to hear everything you got to say, but I have something I need to get out of the way first. <laughs> All right, which is, you know, longtime listeners of this show will know that me and Jason spent a long time talking about the setup and transfer process of a new iPhone. Mm-hmm. We have had many episodes about this. And then over time, it got better. I think this year, Jason, I have had what I think might be the worst transfer process I've ever had of an iPhone. From what I expected to happen. How much of it had to do with you being in America and how much of it had to do with other badness? I'm not talking anything about eSIM. So the eSIM process failed for me, but I'm not surprised about that. I'm expecting I'll need to do that when I get home and it won't be a problem. You know, at the moment, this phone can't talk to my actual network so it can't do the transfer. I am talking merely about the phone-to-phone 
data transferring process, right? Okay. So I set the phone up as fresh so I could have it on podcasters on day. So I got it on Friday morning. So I just basically set the phone up. I put a couple of apps on it so I could use it during the day and like, you know, take pictures of it and, and that kind of stuff. Because plus uh, I gave my 13 Pro Max to my wife, Adina, and she was posting things on my Instagram and on Twitter and stuff during the podcast-a-thon. So I didn't have to. It was really helpful, but I could still have my phone on me to take pictures and that kind of stuff. Then on that night, I refreshed, I like reset the phone to factory settings and did the phone-to-phone transfer, right? So you put the two phones next to each other and you have it like it took three hours and it does the transfer from one phone to the other. Then once the phone's done, I set it up as, you know, set it up, like put the last parts in that I need to. Now, I don't know if I did something wrong here, but I have been coming across, I don't know, maybe like 70% of the apps that I use, it's as if they've never been used by me at all. I'm not logged in. My preferences aren't synced. Or it's like a bit one or the other. I'm logged out, but when I log in, my preferences are there. Or I'm logged in, but my preferences aren't set correctly. My data's not in an application. My, you know, like I'm going through app after app and it's some form of one or the other. And it is completely inconsistent about which apps I'm signed into and which aren't. Um, And I like it's absolutely maddening to me because of the inconsistency of it. Now, we had John Syracuse on the uh, podcast-a-thon, and he spoke about having a very similar experience. Now, John was talking a bit, little bit about some of the beta apps that he was using, but it isn't just beta apps that have been giving me this issue. I have just, it has been the last two days, I'm basically having to try and go through and open effectively every app that I have to try and get it to some kind of normalcy again like is this one logged out or is this one logged in are the notifications on or are they not and i just find if i don't know what has happened but just something terrible happened and then i get so far into it it's like a sunk cost thing where like i was working right. on it for a day and i think it's like why don't you just try it again i said like, well because i spent the last day <laughs> setting it up halfway I don't now want to go through this whole thing again if I then do right. another three-hour transfer and I'm back to where I was before. So like, I don't know what has happened. So you did device-to-device transfer mm-hmm. instead of iCloud backup transfer? Yes. Yes, which I d- I've done before. And my understanding is this is the best way to do it now. Mm. I mean, it's not what I do. I just do iCloud because I want to I don't want to wait for hours and hours. I want to I want to have the phone up and running again and then have it backfill and it does mean that I have to log into a few things although not as many as it used to be. Mm-hmm. My my concern so um so my son got his and he did a device 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 to device transfer and it uh said 5 minutes left for 4 hours. Mm-hmm. And then basically we kind of flipped it open and had it just it just basically said just no go ahead and uh or or maybe we powered it off i i think i just flipped it open you know from the bottom but anyway so we basically sort of like i wondered are you in a weird interim state or were you really done after all and it's unclear and i haven't heard from him 
So I don't I don't know. He see hasn't he if he probably if he had he would come to me because that's how that works in this house. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Or maybe he's having trouble and he just doesn't know. Like what was the thing with the USB port that was broken or whatever? <laughs> or, right? That yeah. he just didn't tell you. You know, maybe it's one of those situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, look, I don't know if I did something wrong or whatever. I don't know. But all I know is for me, this shouldn't be what occurs, right? So I've just found this whole thing to be very frustrating. Yeah. Potentially I'm an edge case here or potentially I'm not. But like, this is one of the most important things that they should be working on. It's like, because it's not even about the year to year. Anytime somebody does this, every single path should always be flawless for as much as it possibly can be. And like, I don't understand how an app can say, transfer from device to device, have all of the stuff stored in it, but maybe logged out. Right? right. Like, it's just like, how is this occurring? And then like, I'm running into all these random edge cases now because apps are getting confused. Some apps are bad at this. Some oh, apps sure. won't let you bring it across. Yeah. And there's some that I expect. If you're having that a lot, then you're having a you're having a bad experience. And the thing that I always wonder, because I I my transfer went fine, but one, I used iCloud, and two, I didn't do it on on Friday when everybody is there. And that's always my fear is that there's some authentication or authorization or some other thing that's going on. Theoretically, if you're doing device to device, you should not have to have this, yep. right? Because you're yep. not using anything but the two devices to talk to each other. And that's why I did it because I'm in a hotel on hotel Wi-Fi. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm like, Indeed. I'm not going to do this over iCloud. But still, Jason, all the apps downloaded from iCloud. So it's like, what was the point? <laughs> I had to leave the phone overnight for the apps to download. Like, yeah. what is it actually transferring? Like, when, when I opened the phone and it was done, every app said, like, waiting, and they were all downloading from the App Store. It's like, what mm. is happening in this process? Like, what I'll say is, I'm going back to iCloud again because I feel like that was less frustrating, maybe. Um, right. So, yeah. this that I just needed to get out of the way because this has been a very frustrating thing for me over the last couple of days. So I just needed to get it out there. Um, we can now move on from this if you want to. I would be very curious what would happen if you erased your phone and did device-to-device transfer again and if that would actually work better. But I understand your point, which is you don't want to go through this again if it fails again. If it fixed, then great. But also I've now spent like four hours (laughs) in total like going through all the apps and logging. So now at this point, I'm kind of like, I'm just going to move on. But yeah, potentially if I would have... What I should have done in hindsight is just do it again immediately mm-hmm. but i didn't and now this is where i am so yeah eSIM for me i'm confident it will work when i get home even if the device to device transfer doesn't work my network does eSIMs. i'll get an eSIM, it'll be fine i tried it while i was here it didn't work but whatever how did that process go for you the eSIM part i'd like to exclusively reveal it's not exclusive i'd like to reveal here after the great cliffhanger last week about my eSIM experience that i apparently did already transfer to an eSIM okay. because there was no sim card in my iphone uh so yeah Jason, I already, you had schrodinger's sim card in your phone uh, we, well until i opened it up it could have been an eSIM or it could have not actually i went to the the cellular menu in it and it did not say convert to eSIM. instead it said remove or delete eSIM. and i was like wait a second and then i popped it open and uh there was no no sim in the sim tray so that is incredible 
I already was living the eSIM life. The call was coming from inside the phone. And uh, so I just did a transfer and I did the iCloud backup and the, would you like to transfer your number from phone A to Mm -hmm, phone B? And mm -hmm. I said, why, yes, I would like my number to be transferred. And it transferred it and not really any problems. And it said, would you like to transfer your Apple Watch? And I said, yes. And the Apple Watch rebooted and it was very quick. And that all seemed to work fine. Although I, what I will say is that, and I don't know whether this is the transfer or whether it's the the OS update or what, but my Apple Watch seems to not be talking to things as reliably as it did before. I had I went out for a run and it couldn't see the cellular network, and then I I've had a couple of times where it's it's done that little icon that basically says I can't find my phone. My phone is my buddy. And like its buddy was right there. And, but it was like, no, no phone. So I had to restart them both to get them to talk to each other again. And I, again, I don't know whether that is an effect of the move or the iOS version or the watchOS update or what. But um, I have had a little bit of that. But in terms of the direct from iPhone 13 mini to iPhone phone 14 Pro transfer, that all went pretty smoothly. And because I chose iCloud, I was actually up and running, um, although, you know, with apps still having to load pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah. I'm honestly always surprised that that Apple Watch transfer works at all. Like that, it seems so precarious and weird. They they have come so far with yeah. that. Like it, yeah. it, I did not do anything. I didn't have to do anything. I was listening to, uh, I think ATP last week, where they're like, uh, "Was it John? I, somebody was saying it was probably John. Like, oh, what do I have to do? Do I unpair and do all that?" And, and I'm sitting there thinking, "No, don't do anything." Yeah, yeah. because it's all built in now. It didn't used to be, mm-hmm. but it's all built in now. And it says, "Hey, you have a you have an Apple Watch." is that Apple watch moving to this iPhone too? And you say yes. And it goes, great. I'm going to need to restart your Apple watch, but otherwise it'll be fine. And then the Apple watch restarts on its own and seen like, that's it. Like that was it's incredible. It. And remember right? like that, that it used to, <laughs> you used to have to unpair your watch from your iPhone and then repair it and watch as it reloaded everything onto your watch, right? That is out the window now. Well, because that unpairing was effectively delete everything. Yeah. 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 You do an iCloud backup, (laughs) wipe your watch, and then go to your new phone and pair a new new watch and uh, restore an iCloud backup. Well, now... They don't do that anymore because obviously Apple has figured out ways in watchOS and, and iOS where a phone can take a phone that's been restored from a different phone can take ownership of a watch and the watch goes, oh, you're over there now. Got it. And all it takes is a reboot, which is set off manually by the phone and so that the user doesn't have to do it. So I was very happy yeah. with that. Uh, because it used to that used to be terrible, and now it's actually pretty pretty okay. I expect that it's something along the lines of the watch independence over time, right? Is allowed for it to be able to live a little bit more freely that way. Maybe, although this this feels this feels very much like um, I mean, it's a little bit of that, but it, it's like they they when they launched it, they didn't really think about what happens when you upgrade your iPhone, and yeah. they have inserted something that is is literally there's something in the code that lets a new watch say, "You're mine now," <laughs> and then the Apple Watch or a new phone says, "You're mine. Come over here, little watch," and the watch is like, "Oh yeah, I live over there now," and reboot, and it's done, and that that is it's a beautiful thing. 
What do you think of the always-on display? It it seems... Now, okay, I am not your average iPhone user. I really am not. I use my iPad way more than my iPhone. I use my Mac way more than my iPhone. I, I almost said I live in my garage. I don't. I live in my house. I work in my garage. My commute involves <laughs> not going outside. And so I'm not really out and about with an iPhone a lot, right? So, so I'm bad th- Things I'm bad have at gone this. wrong for me. I live in the garage now. <laughs> I live down. This is where it is now. There's a, something heavy fell in front of the door, and now I have to live here. Um, there's a blow-up mattress out here. I can I can blow that up later. So uh, that all said, that's my disclaimer about being a kind of a weird iPhone user. It seems inessential to me, if that makes sense. It seems like... It's nice. I mean, I've been since I got it, I've been carrying it around and I put it on my coffee table and I put it on my desk and I'm looking at it now and like is it nice that I can see the time? Sure, I can see the time on my watch though. Is it nice that I can see that I've got the weather forecast and I know what my next appointment is in the little widgets? Sure. Is it nice that I can see sort of the album art for whatever is currently playing if I've got that feature turned on? Yeah, that's actually, that is kind of nice. But is any of it essential? I kind of think not. And then on top of that, I would say this is one of those cases where I think Apple's restraint in terms of design hurts it. Because the widgets especially are so restrained that the information, I know that they didn't want a lot of information density on the lock screen. I get it. But like that always on screen would be more valuable if I could see more things or they could be bigger. So I could see them from further away because oftentimes my phone is, is laying, you know, four feet away or, or, or two feet away, not like right by my eye line. And, um, and they didn't do that. It, it, it is, uh, limited in what widgets it has and 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 so yeah that's the i mean like i'm i think it's cool i guess but it does seem inessential or um i could also say unnecessary or like it's it's cool that it's there but i'm not getting nearly as much kind of use out of that information as i thought i might and I, i i or i hoped i would how have you reacted to it I'll start by saying I really have grown to like it a lot. And I'll come back to that in a minute. But it does feel to me in a way that like somebody at Apple heard that an always-on display was a thing that existed and Mm -hmm. decided to make the iPhone's display always stay on. Which is not necessarily what people think of when they hear about an always-on display on a phone. Right? They literally thought, what if we take our lock screen and just keep it there all the time? Yeah. What if the phone looks like it actually never goes to sleep? Right. That's that's what they decided. And you know what, though? That may have been like, hey, here's what we're going to do that no one else can do, quote unquote, right? We are going to make it look like the iPhone never goes to sleep. Won't that be cool? No one else does that, Right. I'm not saying that that is a bad thing because I actually now, after a couple of days, I think I like it more that it does that it's like this. And we call it the sleepless retina display. Yeah. But like it, it, it's a bold choice, 
right? Because everyone's going to have this experience when they get if they get an, a, an always-on display on a phone, like a, on the iPhone, a Pro Max, maybe if it comes to other devices later on. Within the first couple of hours of using it, you're going to look at it and be like, oh, my phone's on. But it isn't, right? Like, you think you haven't mm-hmm. locked it, but no, it's just how it looks now. Because they have done a very good job of making it just look like the phone's display dims. That's it, right? Like, I can look at the picture of my wife, and one thing I'll say that they're doing, Jason, I'm pretty sure they've done this. I think that they are looking for people and keeping more color on the person on the lock screen. Uh-huh. Because I, on the image that I have here, the background is less saturated than the the the, the subject of the image on my was on display, and I if I look at it, I can kind of see there's a little line that goes around her hair, like it's a portrait photo, which it isn't. So I think that they're doing some stuff here with their new like person detection feature stuff. Oh yeah. Oh no, they they are they are definitely processing like mm-hmm. really processing those Im- images in order to get uh them to show up that I mean not only are they doing all that processing for the layering effect which mm-hmm. is not only limited to like portrait mode. It, they will process any photo and find the foreground yep. and the background. And I think you're right. I think they are also um generating a we saw this because somebody found that the clownfish pictures you remember Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. and it looked like it wasn't just like a filter like they were processing it for a certain effect and that that's the dimming effect so something is going on there so that's like so what but what i've come to really like about it though is just it's just my phone. My phone looks like this. I see my phone like this all the time, and it always is like this. I have the widgets there. I can see notifications when they come in if I have it set up that way. I've actually come to really like it. it there is a consistency in the experience that I like, you know, just like this is just what my phone looks like. Um, and I, I use sleep focus mode, and therefore it goes off at nighttime on its own, which is exactly what I hoped it would do. Um, I have seen people say on Twitter that like if you don't do that, the phone's too bright, which I expected 100% would be the case. So I recommend people look at the sleep focus mode. I will say it's really cool. You should do it. Um, do what I do. Create a home screen as well. So you take off the apps that you shouldn't be looking at at midnight because really you should be going to sleep or you should be winding ah. down or whatever. So take Slack off your home screen and all that kind of stuff. So you look, you have less of a desire to look at those things. That is my recommendation to you if you have one of these phones because then you'll also benefit from the phone going into sleep focus mode. You don't like don't get it twisted. This is what I thought. I thought if you set up the sleep focus mode, you had to use the sleep tracking and all that kind of stuff. You don't have to do any of that. So you can just have it do its thing and, and the screen will turn off at night kind of around the time that you want it to. But what I also am wanting to do, and I'm going to play around with this a little bit more over the next few weeks is, so one of the times where I look would have my phone kind of like on my desk or whatever a lot is when I'm recording a show, I have you in a dock. I want to set up a recording focus mode. I have Sorry, I have a re- recording focus mode already, which really pairs back with the notifications that I get. But now I'm thinking, oh, I should set up a recording home screen that has like widgets that might be useful for recording as opposed to usual. So maybe there's like a time tracker on there and like maybe I have a different wallpaper. So I'm liking it for that because it's it's kind of 
I'm, I'm playing around with it more. Um, always also on the display, when the display is actually on, I have found the additional brightness that this screen has to make the phone feel more vivid in a way that I wouldn't have necessarily expected. Just brightness to do. I don't know if there's maybe something else going on with the display itself, but f- putting the phones side by side at both uh, what they consider to be the automatic brightness and also setting up the same brightness level, I find the display on the 14 Pro Max to be nicer than the 13 Pro Max. So that's great. And the, the extra brightness is always great, especially outdoors. I don't know if you've experienced any anything like that. I know you obviously get a lot of sun where you are. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a big bright display. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I haven't, you know, I, I don't think I have anything to quantify there. Every time I hit something that's an HDR, it's like whoa, right? Like the I love it. The, yeah, yeah. It's mm-hmm. very it's very impressive there. But um, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's a bright, beautiful, colorful display. There's no doubt about it. I just the always on seems. I think you're exactly right in saying Apple just wanted it to be. What if my screen never went dark? And I also appreciate that there's a bunch of stuff like the live activities stuff that will make this, a. in some ways, the bottom part of the screen is a canvas for live activities to appear on. Yeah. Um, just like currently the now playing um, interface for, for audio goes there. And that's actually really useful. And so I can see like if you've got some other kind of live activity going on to have it sit there and know that it's your, you know, it's your DoorDash order or sit there and it's a baseball game or sit there and it's your Uber driver and when they're going to come and get you. And with those activities also on there, I feel like it's a little more information dense and a little more useful. But one of the funny quirks of this cycle is that those don't exist yet, right? And that leads to the Dynamic Island not having as broad support as it presumably will down the road. And it also means that the lock screen is a little more barren. Although, regardless of that, I think there should be a second row of widgets optional. And I I think there could be more widgets on the home screen and that that would be perfectly nice. And I think they're a little too spare, especially when they've got these huge phone screens. So, um, yeah, I just it, it just feels a little bit less necessary or yeah less necessary than i thought it would i thought it'd be like oh now i can see everything um but especially that they're now that they're rolling up notifications Mm. it's there's not as much on my lock screen as there used to be (laughs) yeah i mean i'm uh i use count notifications uh as an option where it just shows the number at the bottom now so there's even less on mine so, but I yeah, like it like yeah. That. So I, there's there's some space there that I feel like I, I I appreciate that there's not a lot going on there, and that for a lot of people that's great. But I I feel like if you're going to have this this screen that is always on and can be in my peripheral vision, um, I'd like the option to put more stuff on it so that I'm not so I'm not required to pick it up or tap it in order to see what what's going on. If I could put more stuff on there that I could just right, you know, the idea that I can, I can pick it up and unlock it and launch an app and get a piece of information and then close it down. Mm -hmm. But one of the ways that an always on lock screen could help me is by having me put or having the phone put it because I set this up that information on the lock screen. So I don't yeah. have to do anything but look at my phone and then I've saved myself a pickup and an unlock and an app launch and maybe being distracted and launching another app while I'm there. I think there's value in that. And I think that the problem with the always on screen as it is right now is that it's not um, enabling quite enough of that kind of behavior. 
You mentioned the dynamic island. Yep. What do you think about the dynamic island? You know, I think it's a really everything we said last time. I think I think it is a really clever idea. I love that Apple is leaning into a design limitation and making it a strength. I think it's very smartly designed. I think that the way it looks and the way it moves is um, beautiful. In you know, for some, as much as a system widget status widget can be beautiful like they bless them for trying right like they're trying really hard to make a black blob at the top of the screen that dance and sing and like it's like wow okay you didn't have to do that but i love that you're trying that um and so like i'm encouraged by it but again the problem is and this is like I know I said this a week or two ago. It's just like when it starts out beta season, you get that new OS on your phone, a new OS on your phone as a beta user. And you're like, all right, all right, this is going to be great because there's this great feature that I'm really looking forward to. And then you realize, oh, but that, that feature it has to be, you know, built in to the new APIs by all the third-party apps that I use. And that means that I'm probably not going to actually see almost anybody using this feature until the fall when the OS ships or even months after as they get their apps updated for the OS and support the new APIs. This is a little like that where it's mm -hmm. like, all right, the dynamic Island is here, but other than a handful of Apple apps and people who are using the now playing interface for their audio, or I think there's one other example where stuff gets thrown up there, but basically like everybody else just has to wait for the live activities API and so it feels like a work in progress. It feels like Apple has built a really interesting scaffold that might become great, but it's too early to tell because right now, most of what I see up there is my music or podcast playing. What about you? Yeah, I just to touch on the live activities thing, because I agree with everything you said about that, right? That like, you know, it's like a one-two punch in a way. Like you can experience it for what it is now and it's going to get way better later. And because of that, I kind of can't believe that live activities is, was not a 16.0 feature. Like, they must have known how important it was going to be. Like, and I, yeah. I'm surprised. Is it like, because for as much as I can tell, it isn't, I don't believe developers can like specifically ask for what goes up there, or maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, anyway, but it surprised me. I think they can do it. So, this is my question, uh, which is, is the live activities thing not in 16.0 because it wasn't ready or is it not in there because they knew that if they released it, it would um, do something everybody away. would, everybody would know what the dynamic Island is. I, I think maybe it's the latter. <laughs> and so here yeah, we are, but, but right. it does feel, it does feel a little bit like a, I mean, I get it, right? You don't want to give away the secret, but now your secret has come out and yet nobody's going to be able to take advantage of it. Like people are going to expect the dynamic Island to just be supported by all the apps and it's not going to be for a while. So it's a challenge for Apple and I get it, but it, it does diminish what the possibilities are. And like I said, I think, I think that's true with the lock screen too. Like, so it's a double whammy because I think live activities works Right, it's like live activities mm -hmm. make the lock screen better, and mm -hmm. they make the dynamic island better, and mm -hmm. it's not there. However, the dynamic island for what it is right now, it's kind of like 
you know, like it or not, this is Apple at its best, where they have had a smart idea which mm-hmm. improves upon the technological limitations that they are otherwise given, and they create something incredibly fun with it. Mm-hmm. The way in which this thing animates is so unnecessary, but great. Like, uh, Cable Sasser had a tweet that I think kind of went viral over the last few days, where he's kind of like showing how you can, depending on the angle at which you throw an application, like, you know, like when you're going to the home screen, depends, then has a, a relationship to the angle at which that app minimizes into the dynamic yeah. island. And it's like, there is no reason <laughs> to go to that level, but I love that you did, right? And then the reason is because we want it to just be as good as it could possibly be, right? Which not everyone would necessarily do. And so I appreciate it for that. Like the animations are very fluid. They have a kind of almost alive feeling to them. They do. They're using that ProMotion mic, which, you know, I haven't been using for the last year. And yeah. And I start using it and I think, oh, right. Oh, my God. Like, I, I almost feel like I'm getting dizzy because the all the promotion. But, like, number one reason for the promotion, like, Dynamic Island really looks good with that extra, mm-hmm. the extra frames and the, and the, and the sub-pixel anti-aliasing. And there's, a like, a little glow that happens around it sometimes, depending on the context. There's a yep. lot going on there. It's really, really cool, right? Like, it's really, really cool. Right. So the next question is, but is it useful? And the answer is, yeah, kind of right now, kind of. But I I feel, again, that that, um, we need to see the third-party support here, and that's going to tell the story. And I hope that Apple has figured out the third-party support story, right? Because the danger is that everybody's going to look at the Live Activities uh, API and be like, oh, oh. The one thing I've seen people kind of grousing about with live activities is, and it just does actually doesn't surprise me when I hear it, but it could frustrate people. You have to open an app before a live activity can begin. Right. Yeah, because the whole concept of the dynamic island is that essentially you trigger an event that's happening, yeah. and then you leave the app and yeah. the and the happening events thinking of music playback as the best example. You play a song and then you leave the music app. Yep. Or, the, or Spotify or whatever, but you play a song or a podcast or whatever, and you leave that app. And what happens next is that app flies up into the dynamic island with a little waveform and a little uh, image, and it now is playing in the background, and that playback is being displayed in the dynamic island. You can tap and hold and control it and all of that. So that's the fundamental premise is like you start an activity and then you you know swipe it off into the dynamic island and you move on with your life and you it, and it continues living its life in the dynamic island. It doesn't happen automatically, right? And 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 very little happens automatically on the iPhone. But I can see that as a developer you might be like, "Oh, but wait a second, what if?" And it's like, "Yeah, well that's where it's going to get you." And that that's the fear. It's like, did Apple anticipate all the needs here? And if they, I'm, I'm sure if they didn't, they will address it down the road, but you know, they're already going to be late with this feature and people will already have had their phones and, and, you know, I know this is the start of the, the journey here, but that is, that is the, the danger is that some, some new technologies die because 
they're just uh, they're not adopted early on and they're not embraced. And that's something that, you know, I think Apple really wants everybody to embrace the dynamic island. And that means they need to have that API be really robust and have the user experience be really good. I've also found that the island makes, for me, the screen feel bigger. Um, I think just Mm -hmm. because there's more pixels up there that have got color on them, like it just is a trick of the eye. Oh, yeah. All the cynical people are like, oh, why do they even have those pixels up there? It's like, because it makes the whole phone feel bigger. I've got a a sky background on my iPhone right now. And the fact that that above the dynamic island is, is part of the blue sky, like it makes a difference. It really does. Even though there's no information imparted up there, it's saying I'm part of the of the whole. I am the part of this larger thing on your screen. It's like it's really smart, and it is much more noticeable than the notch ever was. Um, f- for me, at least, at least right now, oh, yeah. like I feel like I was able to ignore the notch way more. Like I would say. I use 100%. a lot of uh, dark. I use my phone in dark mode all the time, and I actually use a lot of apps in like pure black rather than gray. Mm-hmm. If you do that, you are treated to not seeing the dynamic island very much. Whether you consider that a good or a bad, I don't know. But I also actually think the animations of the dynamic island also look nicer when you're using dark mode anyway. Like if you've got something playing, I, to me that looks it looks very attractive to 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 have it that way. So. Well, I I mostly don't use dark mode, mm-hmm. and I agree with you. It is right. The notch was meant to be ignored. It was it's like your blind spot, right? Like it's meant to eventually just fade out of your view. And the dynamic island is not like it's part of the personality of the phone. Is that there's this blob up there, this intelligent blob that morphs and and puts information around it, and that you can tap on and all of that. Like that's why it's there. Um, and I think, yes, it's going to be interesting to see how different people react to it because it, as much as we made out of the notch, the notch was really easy to ignore and this thing isn't. So is it going to frustrate people? They're going to be like, oh, why is that stupid thing up there? Or are, are people going to love it? Or are people, or if we wait another week, will we all have lost sight of it again? I doubt it, but it's a good question. The last thing I think to talk about is the camera. Yeah. I think that for me, the jury's still out a little bit on the camera. And I know I've only, I've only had a couple of days to use it. It feels like across the reviews, the general consensus is that the Pro's camera is not a massive leap. It's definitely not the leap that I hoped it would be if you're using it normally. So if you're just taking photos regularly and they're taking the 48 megapixel and they're bidding it down to 12 megapixels, you know, the the actual uh, detail in the image can sometimes be better, maybe in medium to low light situations, but most of the time looks pretty similar to the iPhone 14. And, you know, depending on who you are, you may either like or not like this camera. And there's some photonic engine stuff, and that seems to be helping uh, the ultra wide look better. The selfie looks better, especially with the autofocus. That's kind of the general consensus from the reviews that I've seen. What's your take, Ben? And I, I want to rely on the people who really care about iPhone photography because um, they care about it more than we do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm encouraged by the fact that it does better, it you know, in better in low light because it's doing the quad pixel thing. I think that's great. Um, what I have seen, and this is what surprises me, is it seems like the thing that we thought would be less 
more of a niche thing and less important was the fact that there was a 48 megapixel sensor in there uh, and that you could you could do two things with it. You could do the 2X where, where you just kind of crop to the center and there was the raw shooting. And I will say about the 2X, I really love that that feature is there. And I Me know- too. I know that it's you're you're losing performance because it's not being able to do pixel binning anymore. But Apple makes a point of saying that it's actually the best. If you do the math, you can see it because of the sensor size. It's actually the best 2x camera that they've ever had in an iPhone. Now they're, you know, it's not all iPhones have 2x cameras, so you know there there's an asterisk there. But it's giving the extra range of having the 2x mode and having it not be a digital interpolation but it literally being the pixels on the sensor and it looks it doesn't look as great or perform as great as the binned pixels but it doesn't matter because it's the shot you wanted i think it's really good and that surprised me a little bit the one that really surprises me is that the people like sebastian devitt who does halide um and uh oh what's his name now i can't remember you know the guy that apple always links to the austin, austin man. man right like that's the thing that's austin man's really interesting because they give him the the i thought he gave a really measured review and it's worth reading because he criticizes the things that he doesn't think are that great about the camera which is not normally what you see in a thing that you know phil schiller tweets out right but they they but they love that he's so enthusiastic about the cameras and he does highlight what's great about them uh but what surprises me is that that 48 megapixel raw i have seen all the people who are like the really into it raw shooting photographers say it's amazing and i know that's a real niche but like i thought they would they would look at that 48 megapixel raw and they'd be like yeah you know it's okay i have all i see about it is raves from people who are blown away by the fact that they can get that out of a camera and i've seen several different people say that it's the best image they've ever gotten out of a phone and I'm going to take them at their word, right? Because it's not my it's not my bag to do that. So that's I think that's really interesting, and it's kind of funny that I expected it to be the reverse, which is we'd all be like, "Oh my god, the quad pixel binning! It like looks totally different. It's the the performance is so great." And that the the raw people would be like, "Yeah, you know, it's not as good as the because it, yeah, and that's not what's happened." So uh, I'm also keeping in mind coming from the mini, which has a much less good camera experience already, um, as opposed to coming from a, a 13 pro, but I've been really impressed with it. I did some action mode shots today. Oh, I haven't played with that yet. That's the stabilization thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, it is, um, at least so far, like it's kind of amazing, right? Like I have used so many video cameras with motion stabilization and and also post-production software doing motion stabilization and you know some of it looks bad and some of it looks okay the the few action mode shots that i took today i felt like i really did feel like i had suddenly switched onto a gimbal or something like it was very impressive so i'm looking forward to playing with that more so i have been just taking a few side-by-side -side photos with RAW, mm -hmm. and I cannot believe the detail that this lens can can give. So yep. 
it's very easy. You can go into the settings app and go to camera and you can turn on the ability to shoot and roar. And then you get a button on the top right hand corner of the camera app has says raw on it and it'll see if it's got a line through it when you're shooting normally and it's not when you're shooting in raw and it turns off and if you're photographing styles like the photo styles it turns off all that live photos is turned off so i've just been like sitting my phone and stay in the position take a photo turn on raw take a photo it takes a couple of seconds longer and just zooming in on them i cannot believe how much detail like sharpness is there in the raw photography so right i like to take pictures uh, of lots of things, like lots of people. I very specifically love taking pictures when I'm traveling. I like to take pictures of buildings. It's just a thing that I enjoy. I imagine now uh, I'm looking forward to the Halide update when they actually fully support it because I find Halide to be a really great app for it can do a thing that I really actually very much like where it takes both photos at once, right? So you take a picture oh, yeah. and you get the the uh, standard Heath is it or is it Heek? H e i c. Which one is the image? One is image, one's video, but the high efficiency uh, codec one. Yeah, it, it's uh, the Heek. H e i c is the container file that contains yep. the image file that's a Heef format. So it's both. And it also spits out a raw image. And at the moment, they can't take. They haven't got access to the full forty x seven update. They haven't tested and updated it right because phones just come out. So it's been taken side right. by side. But I also like to take my images and edit them. And and do raw is the best way to do that i know that but i've just never really cared about it enough but now i feel more inclined to want to play with this because it feels like the benefit to me for taking an image you in raw here is i'll get additional detail in certain circumstances and i find that intriguing and what i like about highlight specifically is it will give me both if the raw image isn't necessarily going to be that helpful to me right because it can also be more finicky right so mm -hmm. i what i'll say is i am um, i thought there was going to be more of a difference in the standard lens than there necessarily is mm -hmm. but there is actually an incredible amount of headroom available and i'm very excited about that i mean about playing around with that and learning more about that so Maybe I'll follow up on this in the future if I tinker around with some more, but it is something at the moment I'm finding myself uh, pretty excited about, to be honest. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like with photos, it really does take time. You need to shoot a bunch, mm -hmm. and uh, I love listening to the people who who live and die by iPhone photography Me too. because they're the ones who notice the notice those details, and um, and we should all be paying attention to what they have to say. But like I said, I think the I think the the reports from the field are that that is uh, spectacular. If you're not one of those types of people, the improvements are going to be, it sounds like, more subtle. And again, it's one of those things, though, that you're going to get a new iPhone and it's going to have that. And whatever your iPhone you're coming from, it's going to be that much more of an improvement if you're coming from a two-year-old or three-year-old iPhone than from somebody like me or Mike who is comparing it to last year's model. Yeah, I'll put in the show a couple of links. One is to uh, something, uh, some images that Sebastian did with. Uh, he actually took the photos and posted them on the Halide Twitter account. Yeah, from San Francisco. And there, there's, yep. the, there's that with the street sign and the sun in the background. It's kind of a spectacular, yeah, yeah. And then also uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to Tyler Stallman's uh, YouTube review. I always really appreciate Excellent. Tyler's reviews because uh, he kind of just looks at the camera um, and really does a good job, I think, of showing 
these differences side by side and explaining them in a way that I can understand. So yeah, I'm excited about this overall. Uh, I actually think this is a really great upgrade and it is weirdly seems like, as we mentioned, especially with live activities, uh, a phone that's going to get better with age in the near future, which is strange. I just have one other note, which is using this phone for a week after using the iPhone mini for a year. Oh um, yeah, okay. Every time, every time I pick it up, I think, did I make a mistake? Is this the Pro Max? It's not the Pro Max, <laughs> but it, oh, it feels no. so huge. It just feels so huge. It feels, it, you know, it's big when it's in my, I was, I, I carried it around today. I took pictures when I was doing curling and I, I was like, like, oh, that phone is gigantic in my pocket. And I, I, I look at it and I think like, again, I, I always do a double take and I think, is this the big phone? Did I, did I use the big phone by mistake? The answer is no, it, it's not. So that is, that is really taken some getting used to. Uh, I'm so used to the, the smaller phone, but the promotion is really good. Like, again, I, I learned to live without it, but when I see it, I think to myself, oh, that's really nice. So I, I'll give you that one. But I, I, um, I'm missing the size of the mini. Like I, I just, I, it's just really funny to have been so trained on the smaller phone that now the, the smaller of the two pro phones feels enormous to me, but that's where I am. Oh, well. Are you going to order one of these 14 pros? No, no. You're going to stay on the mini? Yep. Yep. When all is said and done, uh, that's, that's my phone and, and that's fine. But, um, for now I'm going to live with the, uh, I'm going to live with the pro while I'm writing the review and all that and that's uh and it, i'm liking it like it's really good i just i i, I just the the size take just i'm taken aback by the size on a regular basis <laughs> it's just because it's so much larger than the mini this episode is also brought to you by our friends over at memberful the easiest way to sell memberships to your audience used by the biggest creators on the web you can generate sustainable recurring income while diversifying your revenue stream with memberful you may have heard us talk about upgrade plus which is part of the relay fm membership program but what you might not know is that memberful is the platform that we use to power all of it memberful makes it incre- incredibly easy for us to give out additional bonus content to our subscribers and to our members, whilst also being able to generate an additional revenue stream for us, which can help diversify what we've got going on and kind of makes, and I speak for myself, my life as a, a independent content creator feel more stable in knowing that I have not just ad revenue, but also membership revenue. And it's made kind of my life feel better over the last few years in knowing that. Um, memberful has been a fantastic platform for us to use uh, we're really able to get in and customize things the way that we want. It's incredibly powerful. We get great reporting from it. Uh, they've really been a fantastic partner for us, and we've been so happy with the choice that we made. We're going with them because they make something so simple. You know, like We're able to still tweak things the way that we want. We can integrate it with platforms and services that we find to be valuable for us, but we haven't needed to reinvent the wheel with building what we would need to be quite a, a powerful suite of tools if we wanted to try and do this on our own. We don't have to do that because Memberful does it better than we ever could. Maybe you're already producing content and relying on advertising or other means of income. 
Memberful makes it incredibly easy to, divert, to diversify that with everything that you need to run a membership program of your own. You can set up custom branding. You can have gift subscriptions. It has Apple Pay integration, free trials, private podcast fees, and tons more, while still leaving you with full control and ownership of everything that relates to your audience, brand, and membership. You can even send paid email newsletters directly through Memberful without needing to connect to a third-party email provider. There's no additional fee for this when you're signed up to Memberful's pro or premium plans so you save money compared to using a newsletter platform as well and they also can uh you can publish all of these to a memberful hosted members only website so people can very easily go on and find back issues as well if you're a content creator memberful can help you monetize that passion get started for free at memberful.com upgrade there's no credit card required that's memberful.com upgrade go there now and check it out this could be the start of something exciting and thanks to memberful for their support of this show and Relay FM. So you wanted to talk a little bit about upgrade cycles today. It's just a thought that I had of um, a, a little game we could play, mm-hmm. which is uh, what do we recommend for people and what do we do ourselves? Because we've been talking a lot about, oh, you don't upgrade every year. You, you upgrade every two or three or four years. And I was wondering if we might have our own recommendations for what that what we think that that should be today um how often should you be updating your items or or you know separately from that how often are we updating the stuff that that uh, that we buy okay what i would say for me personally is rather than what i think people should be doing is what i would recommend people would do to have a good balance between a good experience and not necessarily buying every single product because should is like difficult, especially with something like an iPhone, right? Because how often should someone upgrade their iPhone? Probably every five years. You know what I mean? It's like, you're going to be fine for a really long time. Like, you know, do you, do you see what I'm saying there? Like the the Mm -hmm. should part is, 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 is a little complicated, especially because I mean, our audience I'm sure is, is way over. uh, I, I know it to be, uh, pretty over-indexed to people that do upgrade their phones every year. But I do really love this as a conversation. Do you want me to start or should you start? Well, why don't you start with this? Well, let's let's start with the iPhone. Okay. I upgrade every year and mm-hmm. did before and would anyway, right? Irrespective of right. my job. Yeah. I would, because I was doing this every year. I mean, I've had every iPhone except one, which was the 3GS. And mm-hmm. I don't remember. Honestly, don't remember why I didn't go, uh, upgrade to the 3GS, but I just didn't. Uh, I think I was in a contract, and at that time, I was I don't know. I was like 19. I didn't have the money um, to to do the upgrade. I was. I don't believe. I don't know what was going on with me at the time, but I just didn't do it. Actually, I should probably older than 19. I was in my 20s. Whatever. But I just other than that, I do it. So I would go every year. Everybody else, I mean. <laughs> Every two years, probably uh, two to three years, because you get on that like TikTok kind of schedule, right? Yeah. Um, you know, if I look at the iPhone 14, I would say the iPhone 13 was skippable, but the iPhone 12, I think, was great. The iPhone 11, meh. you know what? So, like, that's kind of how, if I think back, I would say every two years, and you would get a more meaningful upgrade for sure. So I would say two to three years. Personally, it's every two years, right? Um, 
I'll buy a new phone every two years. And we've generally been rolling those down in my family. So we'll see how that goes. I I feel like the iPhone you could get away with at this point, I feel like you could get away with three years. Yes, um, pretty easily. My, so Jamie's got an iPhone 11. Mm-hmm. And she's gonna she got it her freshman year. She's gonna be a senior, right? So three years, and it's fine. But I did have that. I had that thought today or or this week. I've I've been thinking about that phone. I thought like eh, iPhone 11. How's that going for her? And then I had that moment where I realized, well, she's going to graduate from college in June. So, you know, she'll get a new iPhone. I'll get her a new iPhone for college or for her birthday or something like, like it's, it's coming. But, but I think at, at three years on from getting that iPhone. That's funny. I thought you were going to say, which is where my mind went, well, she can buy her own. soon buy her own. No, um, no, I really, I, I, so this is why I say three or four years. Cause I feel like. She's at three years and it's like, you know, it's fine, but it's at the edge. And I feel like next year she probably should get an, another iPhone. And again, like Mike said, the so many caveats here. Everybody's situation is different. Everybody's priorities are different. Everybody's budgets are different. But if I'm like giving really broad advice to somebody about like how, how, how many, you know, is it okay? Like if you had a friend who's like, oh, I've had my iPhone two years. Should I get a new one? Should I, should, or is it okay if I keep it another year? I would say, I would say you're fine. And if they said three years, I'd say, well, if you can eke another year out, do it. If you're feeling pain now, go ahead, which is why I come into that kind of three or four years. And I also know that there are people out there and I have, I have friends who have like five-year-old iPhones. I'm like, great. Great, good for you. But that's that's when I start looking at the new stuff compared to the old stuff and go, mm, yeah, you're gonna get a lot out of. Apparently, it's like you're gonna get a lot out of this upgrade at this point. It's been a while for you. Apple Watch, Apple Watch. Uh, I mean, for me, two to three years, easy. Like I have no problem with that. I think it actually works pretty great. Even for like someone who considers himself an enthusiast like I do, I wouldn't recommend getting every Apple Watch. I don't think they do enough to them, which I think is fine. For everybody else, I'd say four years, probably. Yeah, I think you're right. Um for me it's for me it's three years or maybe two to three years. It's I have not bought that many Apple Watches, even though it's been out for seven and a half years. I think I bought three. So, and Lauren's on her second. So, I, you know, you could take your time with the Apple Watch. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Um, and I would apply that to everybody else too. I'd say you could, you can, you know, get if you got a new Apple Watch every three or four or maybe even longer years, it's fine, right? Because the pace is so slow. And unless there's a new feature that you, that in fact, I'd say with the Apple Watch, sometimes that's what it is. It's like one year there'll be your feature and you'll be like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm updating. And it's for that one feature. And as long as that feature doesn't come, you just don't worry about it because your Apple Watch is doing just fine iPad. Oh. <laughs> uh, I, I also just, I simplified it and just had one iPad. For those who have many iPads, I'm, I'm sort of, pretend you have an iPad. For me? Yeah. Three years. 
two to three years easy. Yeah. Because I I have been doing that. Um like I, I had been using an iPad very frequently. Like before my iPad mini, I was using my twenty eighteen iPad Pro. Like that's what I would mm-hmm. take traveling with me and it was great. Yeah. So that was like a four year old iPad at that point. And I'd f- I forgot how like the age of it. I mean, I would say th- three years is easy for me. For other people, like five, you know? If you're using an iPad Pro, you're in a different category, I reckon, which is probably closer to me. I think that's one of the challenges. Ironically, I think that if you've got an iPad Pro, um, on one level, you can use those for years because like, functionally, other than some of the feature changes like the 2018 ipad pro is still pretty good it doesn't you know it's not going to run stage manager or something but like it's still pretty fast even 2018 right so that's a four-year-old ipad pro some pretty you know it's still i'm showing its age a little bit in terms of new features but still pretty good um it sort of depends so not only it's it's like what model do you have and what are you doing with it um, I think that the iPads, I think that's one of the reasons people were grumpy about the M1 requirement for stage manager was because those iPad pros tend to, you know, you can use them for a mm-hmm. long time and, mm-hmm. and they don't ever break a sweat. It's very impressive. So I, I agree with you. I think I ended up buying an M1 iPad pro and I had previously bought the 2018, I think. So I only lasted whatever that is two years. But I think that th- I think that for me, like, I use my iPad a lot, and yet I feel like every th- two or three years is plenty. And yeah, the it's hard to make a generalization, but I feel like the iPad in some ways is even longer uh, life object than an iPhone or an Apple Watch. You, you, like, because you're probably buying it <laughs> depending on what you use. Like, you buy a, a base model iPad or an iPad Air or an iPad Pro or an iPad Mini based on what you're using it for, and I think they're pr- all pretty well matched. Then in saying you can probably hold on for whatever level you're at, you could probably hold on to it for four years, easy, <laughs> and it'll be fine. And uh, again, the caveat is if there's that must-have feature, then you're prompted to upgrade. But I, I feel like you can hang on to those for a long time. And then the Mac. I don't have a years for the Mac. It's like when there's a design that speaks to you. It's kind of like my thing here. The last few years have been complicated for me um, because there's been all this new stuff going on, including like, here's a new iMac. Do you prefer this to your current one, the way it looks and acts? Yeah, I do. Or like, Here's a new MacBook Pro, and now here's a new MacBook Air. But like now I've got these sorted. Like I don't envision making any change to my Macs for multiple years now. Um, so for me, it's like it's either like a design, and that design can be either visual or like the overall hardware design, the package, like what it provides. Um, I think that is that's what it is, right? Like I don't think that there is a necessary time limit that I think for me or that I would recommend to other people. It's just kind of wait until there's a product that for whatever reason you think Mm -hmm. feels better than yours, but it's not on a cycle. Like I don't think that there's really any need in 
going. So like when they have an M3 MacBook Air, I have no desire to move to that product. Like same as when they have an M2 Pro MacBook Pro, I'm good. Like this, I'm all set with this thing. Yeah, well, I was thinking about that. I bought the iMac Pro and then the Mac Studio. And so that was not quite five years, but it was close. And that's my workhorse on my desk. And before I had the iMac Pro, I was using a 5K iMac. And so that was 2014. So that was about three years. And you're right. Some of that is just what speaks to you when. But I went three years and then five years with those desktops. And the laptops are a little different. You know, again, we hand things down in this house. But um, but it's the same sort of thing of of uh, every context is going to be different. But like um, my son had a 2018 Air, 2017 Air and went to the 22 MacBook Pro. And my wife had a 2018, I want to say, or 17 Air and just got my M1. And the fact that the M1 is still for sale. Apple Silicon really changes the game, too. I feel like these Apple Silicon Macs are going to be great for a long time. I really do. They overshot by so much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe the idea for everyone is like, just run it until it causes you a problem <laughs> and then think about changing. I think that there's real truth to that. Um, and when, when when a design speaks to you, um, I think is a good phrase to round up um, everything we've said here, which is obviously one maybe the number one reason. I mean, number one reason you upgrade... Uh, to a new device is because your device died or mm-hmm. is dying. That happens you, or you broke it. No judgment here, though. It just it wasn't feeling well. And so it had to had to go. Um, number two is a something prompts you to upgrade, right? Something in a product. It's not the ca- the calendar flipping over, right? It's something in a product that you go, ooh, that is enough for me to go. Um, and then sometimes it's time, which is sort of like, it's getting slow. It's getting old. Uh, you know, maybe there's all these new features, but it's like, okay, it's time. And and you're almost fortunate if you get to that point, um, where it hasn't fallen apart. And, uh, you know, I don't know. It's, 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 uh, I just thought it was really interesting because we talk about this a lot and yet I, I never really kind of walked through it. So I appreciate you walking through it with me, this idea of what we do. And we are, you know, we are in our uni cases of covering this and talking about it. And so we need to spend time with the new technology and all of that. Um, although there's also a truth about what we would do regardless of whether we need it for our work or not I'm doing a lot of things with computers right now. So, uh, but also sort of like when we talk about Apple's um, uh, iteration process, what do, what do we think we you know the the pace is? And I think that what we've said here is actually, if you extrapolate, kind of what we're saying the pace is in terms of what a uh, like we obviously think the Apple Watch pace is less, and that the iPhone pace is a little bit more, and that the iPad pace is a little bit less. Um, and I think that's true, and that the Mac pace is kind of all over the place and also to be determined because the Apple Silicon thing changes it. But I think that that's part of this story too, is like how long it's not just about like how long can you hold on to it before it breaks? It's also how long can you hold on to it until you look at what's current and say, it's so much better that it's worth getting a new one. And you know, not all of Apple's products work in lockstep. It's not like Apple comes and says, all right, 2018, clear them out. Like that's not, that's not quite how they do it. 
This episode is brought to you by DoorDash. What do you want to eat tonight? Maybe you want a home-cooked favorite, but don't feel like going to the store. Or you want something exciting and new, but it'd be great to stay in tonight. DoorDash connects you with everything you want, whenever and however you want it. Along with the restaurants that you love, you can also get groceries and other essential items delivered with DoorDash. You can get drinks and snacks and other household items in just under an hour. Every time you place an order for pickup or delivery, you're setting off a chain reaction that helps give back to people who make your neighborhood unique. With over 300,000 partners, you can support your neighborhood go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Popeye's, Chipotle, and the Cheesecake Factory. With DoorDash, you're not just getting the things you love, but you're supporting the community you love too. From the stores and restaurants to the Dashers driving around, each purchase provides a new opportunity for everyone involved. Because with DoorDash, there is a neighborhood of good in every order. I have become a big fan of DoorDashing when in hotels. I love it. Uh, wake up in the morning. I like to have coffee before I do anything else. Well, I can make a DoorDash order and bring the coffee to me. Uh, get home from a thing and it's late and you kind of skip dinner because you were busy at meetings and stuff. Great. I can open DoorDash. I can see what's around. I can order from somewhere I've eaten before or I can try something new. I think it is a actually become a great like little treat of mine when I'm traveling is to use DoorDash. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code UPGRADE2022. That's 25% off up to $10 of value on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code UPGRADE2022. Don't forget that is Upgrade 2022 for 25% off your first order with DoorDash. Subject to change, terms apply. A thanks to DoorDash for the support of this show and all of Relay FM. It is time for some hashtag ask upgrade questions. First one comes from Brantz who says Do you think Apple would bring the Dynamic Island? to the non-pro models? And if so, do you think Apple would bring those features to non-pro models without also bringing the 120 hertz display? Or do you think it is required for everything to work properly? I think it's inevitable that Mm -hmm. the Dynamic Island will come to the rest of the uh, um, iPhones. Yep. I don't think... I think 120 hertz is nice, but I don't think it's required. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, it it is a matter of sequencing. I think it becomes a matter of what Apple wants to bring. Because Apple, remember, Apple is really trying to differentiate between the two models, but it's got cameras and processors and the dynamic island and ProMotion and always on. There's a lot differentiating these two. So even if they pull a couple of them off the shelf and push them down into the lower end phones, there will still be plenty of differentiation. So I I think I think Dynamic Island is so fundamental a a, a change to the interface that it has to come to the other phones. And I so I think you need to look at the at face id and the notch and see how it was not that long after when they went everywhere right like when the 10r came out 10r was an lcd not an oled iphone but it had a notch and a face id sensor so i think it's going to be like that if if not next year then the year after but it might be as soon as next year that they that they do this because remember all they're really doing is a cutout 
and uh, and the under glass uh, proximity sensor and then the software on top. And if that's all that's required, um, that's not hard for them to introduce. Yeah, I think I think Jaws said it was like just as iconic or like it's iconic already, right? Like th- this yeah. look. Well, it's literally, I, I mean, I, I mentioned this in a piece I wrote for six, six Colors, but like literally they used to have the silhouette of the iPhone and they had the, t- the bars at top and bottom and the circle at the bottom for the home button. And then the iPhone 10 came out and it's like, no, no, now this is the iPhone. And it was with the notch. And now they've got that same silhouette with the dynamic island on it. It's like, no, no, this is the iPhone now. And it's like, that's, how Apple thinks of these things is like, what's the simplest way to, to express what the iPhone looks like. And it's now the dynamic Island, at least for these pro models. But like it, it, it has to be as the home button vanishes um, and the notch kind of gets pushed down. I, the dynamic Island starts to go everywhere. They're reporting a lot over the last couple of days, but uh, display analyst Ross Young has said that, he thinks that the island will be coming to other phones, probably with the iPhone 15, but not promotion or always on. So that they're more likely to there roll out the dynamic island as like, this is, as you say, like the iconic thing. Like this is the, the way it goes, but it doesn't need to bring everything. Promotion always on and that and the the dramatically improved cameras are really easy to just leave in the pro line, right? Mm-hmm. That, those are really easy to leave there. Well, what about this then from JRAF who says, do you think the dynamic island will show up on the iPad Pro? And if so, would it be on the short side or long side? Uh, my answer is maybe. If Apple thinks that the dynamic island or a version, because we got to say, or a version of it, right? The idea of using the same information that's coming out of the live activities API on iPad OS to do a status thing somewhere maybe inspired by the dynamic island maybe like the dynamic island yeah i think that that there's a strong possibility that they'll do that because it shares a code base ipad os shares a code base with ios and if they feel like this is going really well and the people sort of expect to have that information that they would also build that in to the ipad um, would it be on the short side or the long side? My answer is yes, it'll be at the top because the iPad doesn't need cutouts for sensors. And I don't think it ever will. And so I think that if they do bring something like this to the iPad, it will just be software. Oh, you've just blown my mind there. Because because what, what I've been thinking of is like, I don't imagine Apple changing the design of the iPad from what it is right now for the far foreseeable future of like there being a thin bezel that is uniform around the whole device right right like i can't imagine them making like a really thin bezel on one side so they could put the dynamic island in there and put the face ID sensors in there because that doesn't make sense for just how fundamentally the ipad works of like you just pick it up and it's already ready to go in whatever orientation you want and the ipad does need bigger bezels so you can hold it more comfortably but Mm -hmm. If they did what you're suggesting of like they have a just a pure software version which shows the live activities and all that kind of stuff, that would probably work pretty great. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because you don't need to look at the dynamic island necessarily like, you know, like on the iPad because like for, for face ID, because the face ID works in all orientations, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. It makes right. sense. And, you know, they may do, if they do it, it might be just an implementation of the dynamic island or it might be their unique iPad spin on it, right? Where they're like, oh, but this is different in that you flip it down from the top of the screen or 
I don't know, right? I don't I don't know whether they you know might have their own spin on it or whether they'll keep it familiar, but I think if they feel that it is successful and that people like it and that they like that live activities API is really interesting. And on the iPad when you've got that extra screen in real estate, how do you instantiate the information about other activities that are going on, especially if you're not in stage manager mode, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe this is the way, maybe not. Maybe it's something that's more like the menu bar, right? Like I feel like the menu bar on the Mac is what the dynamic island is, more or less. You can put stuff up in the menu bar to tell you what's going on. Um, but the iPhone doesn't make sense. The Where's the iPad in all this? Like It doesn't have a menu bar, but it's not so small as the iPhone where it needs the dynamic island. So what do they do? I, I, I'm, it'll be interesting to see if they have a new take on it. But I, I think they could, if they really love the dynamic island, they could just do it in software on the iPad and it would be fine. If you would like to send in a question for us to answer on a future episode of Upgrade, just send in a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade or use question mark AskUpgrade in the RelayFM members' Discord. Uh, please send in your questions. Now that we're kind of at this stage of the year, I need new questions because some of the older questions that I haven't gotten to are somehow out of date. Eclipsed by the fact that they have new, we have new information like the phones and the OSs and stuff. So if you have any questions for us, please send them in. Hashtag AskUpgrade on Twitter, a question mark AskUpgrade in the RelayFM members Discord, which you get access to if you sign up for Upgrade Plus. Go to getupgradeplus.com and you'll get longer ad-free versions of this very show. Thank you to everybody that has done that. And a huge thank you to everybody that has donated to St. Jude so far this year. Please go to stjude.org slash relay to learn more and donate now. Uh, we appreciate it incredibly much. And uh, it really goes to all towards helping cure childhood cancer, which who wouldn't want to do that? If you would like to find us online in the meantime, you can go to sixcolors.com and at jsnell on Twitter for Jason. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thank you to DoorDash, Memberful, and Hover for their support of this week's episode. And we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, Mike Hurley. 